I had a pretty similar MMA experience because I trained out of uh, Sarah Longo's gym for a little bit, and that gym has produced three UFC champions. So you like, you know, you fuck around a little bit and you find out a whole bunch. Like, it's really good to be like, oh, I'm not that good at this. Cool. Like, gen pop? Yeah, that's fine. But like, these dudes, different animal entirely. Hello. Hello. It feels very oh God. much like we are captainless without our Scottish captain. Yeah, I don't know what to do into the initial part of the show. Uh, indeed. Stat check. And this is indeed stat check episode 13. No one asks, how is data slate? That's true. No one does ask, how is data slate? Just where is data slate? Next week. Sometime. Yeah, if I had to guess, it's been post, a fucking open. Yeah, it has. <laughs> what well, turned into please don't release this like the day before the Chicago Open rules cut off, and then it turned into game. this is probably. I mean, you, I know you're a game, Anthony, but I was not. <laughs> I was like, please Dude. don't make me rush paint whatever nonsense I need in order to like rejigger my list to fit. Anthony's data slate. Yeah, data slate right before a GW event is how I got third at Austin with Thick City. <laughs> adapt, man. adapt or die. Basically, it's true. I should. Yeah. it should be just adapt or die. I hope they do it on the Thursday, and then they open it. They make <laughs> it legal. <laughs> I mean, what is the because there isn't a list log? There's no the list event, log. Is it? You There's show no. up what seven <laughs> copies of your list? Nine, nine copies of your list, and you're like, "Hey guys, you could change your list between games. Nobody would even know. Just, they don't track it in BCP. They don't track it in, physically. You yeah. could switch lists between every match. No one would know except you and your opponent." <laughs> Just have three versions of your list, depending on who you're facing. I've got a list for Harlequins, a list for Chaos Space Marines, you know, just a list for everyone. would be like Brandon's list from that RQT we did last weekend where it said Warp Vision, depending on the meta in the bottom. (laughs) (laughs) I I do sometimes love seeing people's names list. Mine for Michigan was just Pyropod Returns, but I just... It's better when they're fun and creative. Or you just see Innises, which are just a bunch of nonsense. Various I would rather Innises and the Pyropod Returns than the fluff and lore entries that people put with their units. You don't, you don't <laughs> love the the fourth Blood Moon company of the Emperor's Children's second song, and then five paragraphs of uh, story text for each character. Yep. <laughs> Yeah. No, because when yeah, I'm trying uh, to figure out what's in the list, it's a bit troublesome. Well, you know I what's still in remember the list, and now you know their story. <sighs> I still remember that Greater Demon spam list where each Greater Demon had a name, and then it was like a literal <laughs> scroll, basically, and it was an image, and it was just a name and like five lines of text, 
describing the character and then just exalted traits and relics and things. And I was like, great. Like, and it's just all it was. compressed. Yeah. It was centered. And then each character was its own paragraph, basically. So it was it was something. It was something. I don't know what to say else about it. Yeah. yeah. Although those are still better than pictures of Battlescribe from your ca- on a on a phone camera from your uh, computer screen. I'm I'm still waiting for my ever favorite, which would be the picture of like some math done on a napkin with like a list handwritten in pen. That's so, what I really want. We actually have a, a prime example of that in our local meta. First event that one of our really like really talented players went to, uh, he submitted a picture of a napkin that had his <laughs> list written on it. I I kind of love the energy of that though. Like I would be okay reading the occasional napkin just because of the fr- the hilarity of it. That doesn't mean all of you go out next weekend and write lists on napkins. It's a I know how I'm it's using, a fun spice thing, not a everyday thing. No, no, no. WTC format on a napkin, handwritten. Yeah, Ooh. for Chicago. There you God. go. You're just going to hand out <laughs> This is what I think of your people. app, GW. Enjoy. Yeah. That's, that's a better output than the app. Come on. Oh, it's true. Don't, it's be, true. don't bully napkins. <laughs> Are you going to give them some Kleenex 2 for their tears when you're done with them? Is that what's going to happen? No. I say to that, that deserves one of these. A judgment token. Ah. You've been judged. All right, I guess we should do the actual first segment of the show, which is how everybody's weekend went. And we're going to start with Anthony. Oh, shit. Uh, <laughs> how was my weekend? What a great question that I was not philosophically prepared to answer, you know? Why? What did I do this? Oh, I was a terrible degenerate this weekend. So I didn't do anything with my weekend because I wasn't playing a 40K event, but also my girlfriend wasn't around. So that means I played video games for like 18 hours a day, sustained on coffee and ice cream for two days. It was the fucking shit show. Yeah, it was bad. <laughs> it was really bad. I, I don't know what happens. Like the degeneracy just sits like one layer below the top and it's just always on the hunt for opportunities to escape. Um, I mean, really, you've just answered the question of what does it mean to be an adult? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I unsupervised. I won't lie. My wife, when she goes out of town, the degeneracy definitely does come up to the next level where I'm like, what could I do all weekend? I could eat 5000 calories of McDonald's and play video games because why not? I basically become feral. It's not good. (laughs) Sam with a good question. Did you have fun, though? Yeah, yeah, I did. I wanted to like give some like funny, stupid. No, I hated myself the whole time, but that's just not true. Uh yeah, it was still fun. Good. But yeah, things are things are going pretty good. We're doing um trying to organize some team USA stuff. Hopefully maybe question mark, who knows? I'm not in charge, so I'm kind of just gone rogue. Um and we're doing what we can with what we got. But I am excited for GW Chicago. I followed the LGT coverage like glue because I had a lot of homies over there doing stuff. Uh Special, special, specific shout-outs to Vic Vijay and Nassim. Mr. Forcini has now become nine Chini. Uh, he kept his one, though, so good job. Good job, Nas. Uh, you merely got second at the second largest event of the entire year. You incredible human being. Um, actual good job. I'm very proud. Um, so, yeah, that was my weekend. How about you, Nathan? 
I I went to a GT called the Mission GT, which had the one of the stranger scoring methods that I'd seen recently, which was fine. Um, I went three and zero day one. I played a Space Wolves player, a um, Chaos Knights player, and then I played a Sisters of Battle player to cap off day one with my Power Pod list. And I went three and zero going into day two, uh, and then I played Yunari, picked terrible secondaries. Made a couple bad tactical decisions and lost my fourth game. So because of various things that were going on, I decided to go home a little early and catch on my five-hour ride because I had been mathematically eliminated from basically getting anything from the event. Uh, I will say, though, that the event itself was run amazingly well and was a great experience. Uh, shout out to Nurgle Matt, who was actually physically there, which was funny. Um, he actually said, hi, I'm Nurgle Matt, and I love your show, and I felt very touched by this. Uh, That's so kind. That's so sweet. I know. It was actually one of the lovelier things that happened, was just Nurgle Matt being effusively nice about our show. <laughs> that is nice. I'm still not um, entirely convinced that Nurgle Matt's not a collective. I think that's multiple people. But you meant <laughs> at least a shard of the greater power that is Nurgle Matthew. I wouldn't be surprised if Nurgle Matt, much like Nurgle's flies, was not in fact a hive of people. Ah. That makes sense. There's seven <laughs> of them. Yeah, at least seven. Probably 777 of them. Yeah, Based like on that. the number of oh, streams the that three. the guy watches, yeah. yeah. Yeah, he's very powerful. Gotta be the triplet blessing. Uh, other than that, I've been prepping a little bit for the Open for this week. Um, Anthony will be here, which will be great. Fox will also be here, who is Anthony's compadre, which will be great. And then there's a bunch of people coming into Chicago, which is kind of novel. I don't know. Don't usually get to see all of, like the Art of War folks and people who are flooding into the city for this event, which will be nice. Yes, my uh, my beloved homeboy from Iceland, Hydar, is going to be there. Literally wearing his oh, Hydar's right now. Excellent. I am looking forward to meeting all sorts of fun people because I didn't get to do that and anything else as recently. Although I did get to meet TJ, which was fun. TJ's pretty great, um, but yeah. That was my weekend. I played 40k. It was a good time. I played great opponents all weekend. Uh, lost just the one game. Probably should have played round five just to get the experience in, but decided to cut and run. But yeah. Nothing but kudos yep. to the event runners for that one, though. Jeremy, cool. how was your weekend? Before I get into it, to answer Gitly Gaming's question, uh, the Michigan GT's pairings and rankings were done by battle points, not by wins or win path. So, so if there you... was some rather wonky scoring at the end. We had a five and zero player in ninth below several four and ones. There was like a three and two player in the top ten playing orcs. Yeah. I think was what happened. I was looking at the fact the overall placings this morning and was like, oh look, a three and two. Yeah, there were there were a few people who scored very high in a couple losses that ended up placing much higher than those that just won all of their games. So. That was kind of interesting. Uh, it was apparently in the player pack, so that's just the way things are run down there. Don't know why. It was uh, that. To like, reach out to us, answer why you did that, because it's very unique. The other thing that was interesting to see was the sheer number of Tau that were at the event. I think I've never seen more Tau than at the Michigan GT, where it was like, I haven't run the numbers, but it felt like a third of the armies that were there were Tau armies. And maybe it's just the Ogden effect on his own meta. 
Yeah, he definitely does uh, does the faction proud and brings a lot of other people out to it when he has those kind of success. Oh, there yeah, we go. Fred him. Fortman in uh, in chat just said the Michigan GT has been battle points forever. So it's just their way of doing things, I guess. That's interesting. Uh, mm-hmm. My weekend was pretty interesting. Um, I played in an Ironman on Saturday. Um, for those that don't know, that's five rounds one day. Uh, my local game store has gotten a whole bunch of people absolutely hooked on the idea of doing this. Um, I enjoy it. It's kind of fun. Uh, it's nice getting a GT's worth of games in a single day. So that way I have Sunday to rest, relax, and hobby. Uh, I went 4-1. and one. My one loss was to our local guard player who was running seven demolisher tanks. And uh, seven demolisher tanks do a number on Imperial Knights. Yeah, it gets you the loss to show and die. Yeah, Yeah. I do have the loss to Imperial Guard tag now, but that's fine because I've also handed that tag out to multiple people over the uh, last year. That's true. Um, true. Yeah, then aside from that, I've just been hobbying up my Votan, which yeah, that should be a lot of fun. It's funny because all I see on your on your desk on top of a box of Votan (laughs) is like three Manticores. And then a couple Earthshakers and a couple Chimeras and then maybe a Bane Blade on that box. Yeah, I'm in the middle of reorganizing and <laughs> trying to figure out where I'm going to store my guards. So currently it's stored on top of the Votan box. Where he's going to trying store to keep the Votan down. Using... <laughs> in the empty Votan box. Actually, it's got a whole bunch of half-completed sprues in there because the Votan box came with the full kits and there is an insane number of options for everyone in there. Oh, that's, oh, that's awesome. Cool. Yeah, like, I should uh, send you yours, Nathan. That feels like a thing I should do. <laughs> like, just as an example, this is with two guys taken off of it. There's one more guy coming off, and then there's going to be an extra like 20 heads and another dozen or so bits that I've got left. Oh, and Anthony, you might as well just wait for the Warhammer 40k commander stuff to come out because might as well send oh, it. Oh, then I can send it at the same, thing. The same yeah. time. Yeah, yeah send all the 40k shit to Nathan. It'll be great. Everybody will have a good time with it. That seems good. So I guess we should talk, well, briefly we'll say Innes is just taking a breather and we'll be back next week. Uh, Innes had the LGT over the weekend and the LGT Invitational before it and is just kind of exhausted. Um, yeah. So he's taken a well-deserved day off to rest himself and his voice and to come back to us next week. Uh, does somebody want to do the shout outs and then we can transition into our fun stat section and do our stuff? Uh, let's just check do, the, it. Let's do the shoutouts later. All right, we'll just do it later. Yeah, just check the, check the description. All the links are there. It's just funny that yeah. Ines has to memorize them. <laughs> it is. It is true. Yeah. Part of it is just to torture Ines and not just to torture yeah. us. Yeah, we don't need to be tortured by that. We have other stuff we can be tortured by. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I guess we can just pop into the stats for this weekend. We'll go through win rate stuff, and then we can talk about some highlights from the weekend, and then we can talk about overall meta stats. Uh, that seems real. Tiernan's I'm going like, to mute and lean back and let you dudes do stat stuff. <laughs> cool. So I'm just going to pull the numbers from the master spreadsheet that causes my computer to crash now because of how much data we've collected at this point, Jeremy. Yeah, we have now crossed, <laughs> for anyone who's interested, we now have 16,400 player entries. About 9,500 of them are unique. And over forty-two thousand games tracked in GT Plus games since the beginning of February. So yep. since the the ITC season rolled over, 
So it's over 40,000 40, at this point. Good job, guys. Uh, for this weekend, we don't have quite 40,000 games. I know, Anthony, that was a bad joke. Uh, Tiernids had the highest win rate of the weekend at 60.6. Harlequins were in second. And then Chaos Demons are surging at 55.5. Tau, not that far behind. I actually think people have kind of disc- had kind of discounted Tau a little bit. But based on how they've been performing with that double Sunshark bomber list with a Riptide and then a Crisis Suit Bomb, they're actually quite dangerous if somebody manages to pilot the armies successfully. They came out with a 54% Imperial Knights just behind there at 53. Chaos Space Marines continue to show up with 52%. Oh, wow, this is actually out of order. What the heck did I do? It uh, doesn't really matter. Then we have Sisters, Drukari, and actually Orcs at above 50% win rate for the weekend. Yeah, Drukari are Let's at 54% orcs. this weekend. So, Anthony, when are you switching back to them? When they get Early a 10th edition book, bro. He's, yeah. <laughs> he's YOLOing into uh, Drukari for the Chicago Open. Just don't let anybody know. So, actually... Yeah, I'm just going to play I'm, Mixed again. That's funny. Um, and it is interesting because Chaos Space Marines win rate, I don't think really reflects how well they did at some of the events this weekend, like four of the top 10 at LGT, which was the largest event of the weekend were Chaos Space Marine factions. Two of those were Emperor's Children and two of those were Creations of Bile. I know I'm just going to ruin all your secret tech on air, Anthony. I'm sorry. Uh, (laughs) Tau were also in the top four of that event and then Tyranids were fourth at that event. Uh, Chaos Demons won an event in Germany, and then Tau won an event, and then Chaos Demons went undefeated alongside Yanari, also going undefeated at the Michigan GT. Then Death Watch won an event, although they were also undefeated with two Imperial Knights lists at the Fantasia Fanatic, which is kind of neat. Three undefeated lists in the top three. Yeah, although, it was, uh, although they did have a bunch of draws there. That's true. Otherwise, I think the weekend's pretty standard other than starting to see Chaos Demons take home events, and then Gene Steeler, uh, otherwise at 25 plus man, five plus round events, it's pretty much more of the same outside of a surge of demon stuff. And then Chaos Pace Marines really taking home big trophies this weekend. Yeah, probably the most interesting thing is uh, Empress Children, which won the LGT this weekend, only had a 53% win rate. Yeah, they were very much considered, I think, the second fiddle to Creations of Bile, with Creations of Bile being the number one most powerful Chaos Space Marines. Sometimes even the third best. Sometimes people were saying that Word Bearers were better than uh, Emperor's Children as well. Emperor's Children just kind of coming from third place in most people's hearts to take first. Kind of neat. Sure, Anthony will have words about it for later in the meta section as well. I mean, the numbers back that up. Creations are pushing 60%. Word bearers are pushing 56%. So those two are really pulling up the CSM numbers. Uh, and then you have World Eaters, Iron Warriors, and Night Lords dragging them down. Yeah, I'll be interested to see what the overall dashboard update looks this week once Cliff gets a hold of all that data and gets to update the dashboard so we can see what the summed win rates for some stuff looks like. Be interested to see also what the win rate for sub-factions are starting to look like as well and some of the win rates for those sub-factions and other things, especially for that Emperor's Children data save. But who knew that ignoring all of the modifiers on things and then whatever other tech Anthony wants to talk about later in the show for Emperor's Children might be good. Yeah, you know, just a little bit. Good. And then you've 
it's got the insanity strong, of almost <laughs> army-wide fight first, too. Yeah, who knew fight phase manipulation also strong? <laughs> Not like people didn't hate fighting all sorts of other stuff like fight last archons and stuff with Drazar paired with them or anything like that. All. Definitely not. That's Otherwise, fine. the meta continues. If you look at the dashboard for up through September 25th, the meta continues to look relatively healthy and also relatively stable. Uh, there's only a few factions that are outside of 60%. Um, some factions do continue to suffer in the doldrums, mostly Imperial Fists and Crimson Fists, who are barely visible on our dashboard website at this point. They basically have one knuckle that's in the visible pane at this point. So we do have a couple factions who are just kind of outside where we would like them to be. And hopefully... a the data slate, which we said no one is asking how it is doing, comes in and does a good job and kind of balances some of that stuff out. I don't know what you want to say, Jeremy. I didn't calculate overrep for this weekend because I am buried in work, but I'm sure it will look like... It'll probably look fairly similar to what we've seen for the last little while. Um <laughs> Actually, we could even just look at uh, at T-Whip overrep, which is something that I do track pretty quick, pretty rapidly. Um, if I look at that real quick. Sure, why don't you pull that up? And then I can also tell folks that we have updated the ELO, CRS, and then the faction rankings have been updated by Jeremy. So if you want to look at how those things have changed over time, uh, the faction rankings have, have not changed very much, but you can see the CRS scores for Tyranids and Harlequins are over 1,900, which is quite high. Um, especially compared to the two, I think there's a 200 point gap between one between two and three now. Yeah, there's a almost 200 point gap between Harlequins and Eldaria. Eldaria are at 1719, and Harlequins are at 1906. And then for the CRS rankings, there has been a slight change, I think, in the rankings. Uh, these were updated, were these updated today? Because I have Manny still in first. Is that accurate? Uh, I believe Manny actually just retook it okay with his performance at uh at the lgt because he went kind of went undefeated his one game where he took a loss on the stats was a little weird how it worked out so i had to i basically pulled that game out of the out of the numbers because uh, there was enough contention between the two players that i just didn't feel it was necessary to keep it in there okay so yeah then our top five for crs right now is manny and then vic Bajay in second Tom Ogden in third, David Gaylord in fourth, and then Jack Harpster is in fifth for rounding on our top five. Uh, six through ten is TJ Lanigan in sixth, our own Innes Wilson in seventh, Nassim uh, in eighth, Marshall Peterson in ninth, which is a name that I'm not very familiar with, and then Anthony of Violence Vince Turbo fame in tenth. That's me. Here's hoping that he buffs that a little bit this week. God, yeah, I we've got to hope so. We've got to get our uh, CRS back to where everybody's mad at us for the CRS ranking. All of us in well, by all of us, I mean the two <laughs> innocent best, Anthony, innocent Anthony in first place on things. Let's not even talk yeah. about mine. Mine is like very much in like the average, average portion of that graph. <laughs> yeah, so I pulled up the T Whip data for the weekend. Um, nothing. T Whip is kind of weird because um, it can be kind of overrepresented by just a few performers over a one week period. Mm -hmm. um, but this week it was actually interesting. There's no army above a 2.0 T Whip ratio. So basically, T Whip is tournaments in winning position, a measure of how often an army goes uh, four wins in a row or better. 
So basically, when you put yourself in striking distance of a podium at a five-round event or um, continue to do better, you know, you go five wins and then lose on the on the sixth round of a six-round event. Um, so the only the highest of them all is Tyranids, where they have a a two-it percentage, so basically a representation of them being in the tops of tournaments of 14.7% with a meta rep of 7.4%. So that's about a 2.0 ratio. Uh, and then from there, it drops off pretty pretty steeply. Uh, the next highest is actually uh, Chaos Space Marines at 1.48, where they make up just under 12% of the tournament podium, podium potentials, and they made up 8% of the meta this weekend. Um, interestingly enough, Harlequins kind of dropped off. They're only at a 1.4 this week. Uh, but again, it's they only make up 3% of the meta, so their numbers tend to skew wildly from week to week. Yep. Yeah. So, I, I mean, to me, that just continues to support the notion that we've had that the situation for the meta is very good. Yeah. Um, the meta is relatively open. Um, new factions are coming in and winning events and kind of going in. And there's really only a few factions that are kind of just really outside of that window at this point. And we'll have to see, I guess, what the slate will bring. And if the slate brings big adjustments that like really mess with the meta, along with Votan coming in to events starting probably this week. Uh, a number of events post Votan nerfs have started to include Votan wholesale. Although the GW Open this week is only allowing models that are in the starter box at the event. And then I do know of some GTs that are continuing to wholesale ban the book until the full model line is out through the end of October. Which includes some local GTs like the Dragonfall GT in Wisconsin here in the Midwest is not allowing Votan models until the whole range is released. to just Probably to just avoid needing to approve like... 80 million conversions from Votan players, which totally understandable as a TO. If you're like one or two TOs running an event, you don't want 30 people to send you emails with detailed conversions asking for you to approve them. Here's 79 million yeah. 3D printed Hecaton land fortresses to start. Enjoy. Yeah. They're all varying dimensions, a, varying. To put up a thing as the TO and be like, get your... 3D prints from this man, and then they're legal. <laughs> that won't be shamed on <laughs> at all. Definitely not. Sounds yeah. like a certain event in Spain did that recent did that last year where they banned uh China cast 3D prints unless it was 3D printed by one of the TO's friends. Oh, man, that's that doesn't sound great. That seems like a bad luck, guys. It was let's, a terrible luck. Let's not do that. I actually love I'm pretty sure this that. Was the same, I'm pretty sure this was the same um tournament that the uh Austrian painter showed up at. Ah, fair. Ah. On the topic of Votan, do we want to talk about the nerfs a little bit as we transition into meta segment? Might be um, worth it. Yeah. Sure. Wait a minute. Where's the Scotsman? Sorry, that's a very fun comment. I love that. Ennis uh, <laughs> is recovering from X and Tuing for the first time in the last two years, so he'll be back eventually. And I'm going to bully him about it because I got bullied about it for forever. So fuck him. Yeah, only only Innis and only Anthony can bully people for a four and two four and two record at events. He went three and two. He didn't even win the last the sixth one. Oh, sorry. My apologies. Yeah, he could have lost again. He probably wouldn't have, but he could have. 
Um, <laughs> we love the Innes. Right, we I'm, do I'm love Innes dearly. <laughs> and we do want him to come back to the show next week. So we do love you, Innes. Please come back. Especially okay. because you're the only person who knows how to do the entry sequence and all the plugs. Yeah, we are almost got to do it. That. Uh, <laughs> I guess now is a good time to shout out. Uh, links are in the doobly doo below. Check out um, our Patreon if you really like the work that we're doing. Check out the StatCheck website where we have the meta dashboard that should hopefully be updated later this week once Cliff uh, finds some spare time from his very, very busy work and dad life schedule. Uh, and yeah, the, like uh, Nathan mentioned, the CRS and ELO and faction rankings have all been updated. So go check those out share them uh yell at me because you don't think that your favorite player or yourself is ranked high enough actually please don't do Sometimes that but you can make errors yep if you do notice an error please let us know like send yes. us an email we do have an actual official email you can send actual complaints and questions and comments to which is on the website otherwise you can just DM me. pay you can pay to be in the patreon and then you can actually slide into my dms and yell at me there or slide into an appropriately named channel and yell at me there as well I may or may not respond to it. I may or may not just block you. I don't know. We'll find out. It's a roulette of how busy I am. Yeah. Uh, you have to fuck around in order to find out. It's true. You do have to fuck around in order to find out, and that may cost you $5 to do so a month. Congratulations. Hey, it's Naz. Congratulations once again. Hey. Absolutely amazing run this weekend. The people's fucking champion, dude. All right, so Votan, right. dead and buried. Uh, Every Votan group on the internet quite. burning their models, throwing them in grinders, scalpers selling them for below market prices. The Votan stonks have crashed. Yeah, All because GW. Still... Votan, Votan player base again moving <laughs> to be my least favorite player base outside of Custodes. Um, boy. Do those folks complain a lot for having one of the strongest armies in the game? Jesus Christ. Calm down. <laughs> but my list went up uh, 450 points. It's not viable anymore. I had to cut a whole land fortress. That list shouldn't have been 2,000 points to start with, and you deluded yourself into thinking that, that it was okay. Um, but Anthony, my yeah. sixes, my, my auto hits no longer are sixes to wound, and my railguns no longer work. You're... Your automatic wounds don't trigger additional rules. Yeah, that seems what will rough, I do without dude. it? I know. I don't it know. Terrible. What, are, Maybe... what do you think you are, an Eldar player? <laughs> yeah. Well, also like not even like outside of one what, sub faction. What what shuriken weapon causes like two three plus six damage and splashes yeah. damage every time somebody talks oh, also, about Hail of Doom being comparable to it? I'm like. There isn't a shuriken cannon that does anything like 90% of the Votan weapons do, guys. What is the complaint? Dude, I would I would play Eldar right now if Hail of Doom triggered on a four but didn't trigger the rule. No problem. You got it. Be pretty fucking good. Just yeah. Hordes, yeah uh, just be right back to scat bikes, or not scat bikes, but shuriken cannon bikes and dire avengers coming out of things, firing twice. Whatever you auto wounding on fours into like knights with massed multiple AP weapons. Yeah, I'll do that any day of the week, guys. Come yeah. on, you're also guardian defenders at that point. We can game with the little the regular gap blasting troops. Mm -hmm. I think people have forgotten the getting to skip a whole step 
like a variance that like takes away your successes is really good. Yeah, really like, strong. And especially when you bypass one of the biggest defense mechanisms in the game, which is toughness. Yep. Like there's a whole faction, a uh, sub faction of Tyranids, like the best one that uses the ability to not wound them very efficiently as their major defensive mechanism. And you get to skip it. You skip the whole thing. Yep. Basically, the nerfs aren't that bad. And you all a bunch of complainers. Yeah. The yeah, nerfs are believe. probably uh, not enough. Yeah. They're probably not enough. Yep. Like they they're the army is going to once it comes into full release and all the models are available and tournaments lift their 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 restrictions on it it's going to come out of the gate absolutely swinging um now it might not because people might hate building these fuckers because they, <laughs> they decided that these things need that like good. they're decent but like they're an annoying kit to build that's that's all good Good. You should need to pay in your blood, sweat, and tears in order to get those best yeah. those best units built. Yeah, they're still not as bad as uh, Tomb Blades. I hope Zerker are heads are three parts. <laughs> three part heads. I love that. <laughs> the ears are yeah. each one part, and they have to slot in yeah. correctly. The hammer yeah. is made of manifold. If you slap them wrong, yeah. a blood letter appears and smacks you upside the head out of like the freaking warp. Yeah. Just comes out. <laughs> No. <laughs> if you slot them wrong, the hammer doesn't fit. Like it's just a uh, mess. I hope that's how it works. Yeah, I think people are also complaining. A bunch of people have also started complaining about how because of the points have changed, they deserve like getting receiving a new codex with all the new points changes inserted into it. If mm. anything, what this really highlights is the fact that points shouldn't be in the books in the first place. They should just be purely digital. Um, so that on release day, GW publishes and say, here's the points, mm -hmm. um, which means that you can then update them on a quarterly, weekly, monthly, whatever iteration. I think quarterly is probably the best way to go about it. But uh, then they just get updated in there and that's your that's your repository for it. Like, But I'm also of the opinion that like rules shouldn't even be in the codex. That should also be digital and yeah. just be available for either a fee or even free. And, you know, codexes, you buy your codex and you get your lovely lore and your crusade rules and your fluff. But, I mean, rules change. Awesome, man. It's, I, it's just, it's the nature of the game. I honestly think that the only physical versions of codexes that should be sold are the collector's editions. That's the only physical version of a codex that should be sold. So somebody who loves a faction so much that they want to buy that special cover, that's the only way you get a physical copy of your codex. You just buy that and you get one. Otherwise, everything should just be a fully digital rule set and it can be updated at a whim, like Jeremy said, so that the whole freaking ecosystem is digital means everything can be updated whenever there's a problem. You don't have to worry about your codex missing pages when it's published. Poor Space Wolves. Uh, you won't have to get mailed a missing a missing page in the mail from GW or something. I don't know how they rectified that, actually. You have to like they, they stick had it into the... your book. Yeah, they, they actually had, so Anthony, you, this is, I think, before your time, uh, the 8th edition Space Wolves Codex, when it came out, was missing pages. Like, the it had just completely misprinted. And so when you went and bought a Space Wolves Codex, um, at least this is how it was handled for, for me and my friends locally, uh, the store owner 
had photocopies of the missing pages and they handed it to you with the book. And it wasn't like a lore page. It was a rules page that was missing. So it was just like, <laughs> yeah, what do my warlord traits do again? Hmm. It's not in the book. That seems yeah, so, bad. Yeah, just it was it was pretty brutal. Um, also, for I think it's the last the big mistake GW's made in terms of prints. Well, besides the entirety of the Votan Codex, sure. Um, yeah. yeah, and Drakari and Admech and Tau and Custodes and well, Custodes was more. Let's give them day one point cuts because they were underpowered. Yeah, that I will also say that the one thing about Votan and the stuff is that it illustrates that when the community actually does kind of come together in response to something and especially when groups of tournament organizers and competitive players like make their opinions very vocally heard and there are, are tournament bans and stuff like that like obviously gw created a response based on the response from the competitive community in order to fix a book much more rapidly than could whatever have happened previously and i do think it's good that gw did that um, and I also think it's a good sign that the community has a voice and can actually shift how GW does things for the future, which I think are good things that have come out of like this whole fracas. Or if you're yeah. spiky bits, also, GW has lost control of their IP and, can, and the customers are now in control because that's such a terrible thing for us to actually have a say over the game that we invest hundreds, if not thousands of dollars in a year. One would honestly think yeah. that customers usually control your product anyways, since they control it by buying it. But, yep. you know, neither here nor yeah. there. <laughs> the uh, the other thing, too, is that this change does not actually impact casual Votan players because they oh, didn't touch no. power level, which is what's used for all the competitive systems. <sighs> so, yep. so if you want to play Go Play Crusade and lose friends, go right ahead. I mean, for the people out there that are like, I don't even want to play this army no more. I was just here for the lore. Now it's nerfed and I can't play it. You're uh, you're mask offing yourself a little bit there, bro. Here, you're not looking great yeah. when you're like, I was just casual. Why am I getting hit? It's like, well, you didn't. So maybe wind it in a couple of steps, just a bit. Never. No. 100% not. Maximum yes, easy peasy. Fault. I would pay good money to actually get, grab a, a video of Anthony doing exactly that. Uh, saying that he can't wait for the Chicago Open where someone to be complaining about Votan being bad and Anthony goes up and just yells at them. <laughs> Hopefully it's not on day three so I don't do it in an Art of War jersey. <laughs> Have you decided what your jersey rotation is going to be for the Chicago Open? Yeah, it's going to be uh, Miami Dice, Australia, and art war nice no scotland it might be i can't find this is jersey oh so if you if you can find it that's somewhere but i don't know where i feel like i would fit in it and i'll wear it if you can find it <laughs> yeah that's fair just i feel like that looks maybe a little a little strange on our short king member of our staff <laughs> it's definitely a bit big <laughs> as a professional not tall person uh it is not Arc not appropriately not. sized no uh rahal you're gonna have to explain what we should have as a patreon goal is it gonna be just anthony yelling at people because anthony will do that for free anthony will will go into voice chat and we'll just yell at you for free basically at this point 
I mean, I'll do it way better for money. I'll have like reasons and stuff. But if you just want me to no scope <laughs> rant at someone, yeah, I'll do that for free. Okay, we're gonna find the vote players. We're gonna figure out which tables they're at, and then we're gonna send in uh, Anthony to them and just ask them. So, how's your game going? And when they bitch about the code about the codex being nerfed, Anthony will just start. Off. He'll just go. He'll just dig in. He he'll grab his spray bottle. He will spray yeah. them and then he will yell at My them. My branded spray bottle. Right. Mm -hmm. Hello, Dan. Um, yeah. So that's the Votan nerfs. They deserved it. They will probably need more to come back all the way in line. Um, yeah, it's a, it's definitely going to be a thing. Turbo's truths. It's not going to be a, Turbo's truths. <laughs> That's so many, like a a, a what's gr what grinds my gears segment basically from Family Guy essentially, but Turbo's truths, fair, fair. <laughs> Where the all uh, you only do it. <laughs> Anthony, do you want to talk a little Nathan, bit about how hard? Hmm? How hard would it be for me okay. to get a tattoo on that Thursday night? You don't get in until like nine p.m. Into the city. Itself. I know what I said. It's a, it's, it's a city, though, right? You want me? You want? Yeah, it's a city. You <laughs> want me to find you a a hotel or a tattoo place where you could get a tattoo done late at night? Sure, I can do that. If you if you can find me one, I will get the uh, the WTC one that I owe done. Okay, I'll I'll check with. So. I'll I'll see what I can find for you. I'm pretty sure I can find some place. Where they'll do uh, right. a simple design for you. Perfect. Catch a button. All right. What did you? Uh, I think that's called prison. Listen, <laughs> ideally not. <laughs> <laughs> let's let's not. Um, I was going to ask Anthony to talk a little bit about Emperor's Children performance this weekend. Maybe shed some light on why we're seeing Emperor's Children and what what is the goings ons and why we're seeing them show up so much. So Emperor's Children are funny for performance as a faction because Emperor's Children isn't like mega complex to play. It's not like the hardest thing in the game, but there's like a series of things that you need to like know how to do really well. Character placement, fight phase control, need to know your stratagems. It's not the fastest army in the world, so positionally being like a turn ahead is really important. But the disparity between someone that does know how to do that and doesn't know how to do that is massive on Emperor's Children specifically. Uh, Emperor's Children carries you basically never. Emperor's Children lets you not get randomly screwed really well. So in the hands of like a competent, consistent pilot with a game plan that will work most of the time, they'll be able to win way more often than they lose we will never see emperor's children hit the win rates that creations did because creations you can just like like and i am a very aggressive player and i get very upset when people describe playing aggressively as just like vomiting your models into the middle and then winning you can literally do that as creations because it doesn't actually matter if you get traded on or fought last or positioned whatever we uh, your characters can be in the wrong spots and get marked from, like, someone charging around. Like, it doesn't matter because they still get to swing. 
Uh, is it better to not do that? Will more competent players win more consistently? Sure. But you definitely get carried by bile. Whereas like Emperor's Children doesn't really do that in the same way. And you can see that from like as a general rule of thumb when something has really powerful stratagems versus really powerful chapter tactics is where you start to see that dichotomy, right? Emperor's Children have super strong stratagems, stuff that happens reactively or proactively if you planned around it the step before. Whereas Bile is just like, um, real strong all time. So it's a little bit easier to kind of execute with. Um, I've definitely heard like really funny takes the last couple of days. Uh, like people that just like clearly don't have like the time experience or like, you know, level needed to play Emperor's Children at the most effective levels. Uh, just like all sorts of crazy stuff or just like clearly they like... And this is not necessarily their fault, but, like, sometimes people don't have access to as strong of metas or as strong of, like, an Emperor's Children player close to them. So they develop weird takes around it that maybe they should calm down a little bit about because they don't really know. Um, Emperor's Children armies, like, on paper tend to look like there's not a lot of units until those units, like, two-thirds of them are alive on turn four. And you're like, hey, man, what, uh, what the fuck is this? Why are these all still here? Because you couldn't interact with them meaningfully until that point, and half your army's dead or more. Um, there's a lot of like steps to why the Emperor's Children stuff is good. Um, my favorite one lately is I've seen a whole lot of people being like, dude, Abaddon's not even good. And that is hilarious. Um, a well-played Abaddon is like night and day from a poorly played Abaddon. Um yeah, it's just, it's the Drazar thing again, where people are like, I don't get it. How do you get tabled by Draz? And it's like, if the person's good with him, you'll never touch him. And he'll just kill everything that he touches every turn. So. what What's the example of, like, good Abaddon play? Like, from a game that you've recently done, or just, like, in general? Like, what what is, like, the good versus bad Abaddon play? So, bad Abaddon play looks like not like he is wound gated but it's pretty easy to just dump three wounds on him and you can't heal him in emperor's children it's like once every wound that's on him is permanent right every time he takes a wound you've lost one out of you know one ninth of your total pool you only get nine you know he's like a cat you get nine shots so you gotta like in emperor's children as an example in my list that runs lucius what i will often do is for two turns i will use lucius inside the terminator brick like Lucius will move first, and the Terminator Brick moves around him. And then the Terminator Brick fucks off and charges 20 inches because people keep forgetting that they can do that. And then Lucius is kind of just hanging out. He's not really doing anything super useful at that point. So what he does is he runs over to Abaddon and holds hands with him. And what happens then is that if you want to engage Abaddon, you get a face full of Lucius. Lucius has a fight last. Sometimes Lucius has two fights last which means that if you charge the two of them, you fucking die, which takes the melee phase away from you. So now you have to try to kill Abaddon with shooting. He's a screenable character. Psychic, that's why there's 15 possessed in the list, because that's 45 wounds worth of chumps, etc., etc. That's basically the difference, is that like a good player will leverage him turn over turn, and bad execution looks like relying on his wound gate failing three four up saves and then going ah the dice scammed me like that's not real you just shouldn't have been in that position um so yeah 
getting eaten by a hive tyrant. Bad plan. (laughs) Yeah, that's that's not great. Um, You can see really high level Abaddon usage and like the risk versus reward of playing to your outs on the Facebook live streams if they're still up from LGT. Um, Because Mm -hmm. Vic and Alexandre play, play a mirror, which is a part where Abaddon is very hard to utilize. Um, and then you can watch Alexandre play uh, Nos in the end. He actually makes a pretty rough mistake at the end that almost costs him the game um, because he shoots the Crisis to death and the Crisis failed to explode because Nos rolled the one. But if he didn't do that and the Crisis blew up and killed Abaddon, that would have been a massive error. So you have to be very careful about how your wounds go down. Um, the other thing that people often mistake too is they don't, use the chapter flip effectively so like as an example on the rtt i played the last weekend i was playing against luke and luke had like the way the character combat had basically gone is that like he had killed a good portion of my army he still had two of his characters alive but most of his character or most of his army was dead and he had lucius and his disco very close to each other so i put abaddon who was on three wounds into creations vile and jammed him into lucius and the disco at the same time which he got fought lasted and killed but took them both with him. Stuff like that is a huge deal. And remembering to do things like that really changes the dynamic of, again, like a good Abaddon versus a bad one. Mm-hmm. So, yep. Those are those are just some of the some of the weight. Then that's just the Abaddon portion. There's a lot more like the constant people being like, I'll just avoid the Terminator block. And it's like, that's not a, like you could do that with Dark Angels, right? Like again, like a Deathwing Terminator block, you can be like, that's never gonna touch me. That doesn't work in Emperor's Children just at all. So, yeah, we'll see how we go. Um, so to get the Emperor's Children Terminators to move 20 inches is auto-advancing 6 inches and then advancing and charging, I take it, from the prayer? Yep, so the way that works is you yeah, you pray for advance and charge, um, which goes off on a 2-up, and then you structure your turn from there. Um, so if you hit it, you move 11, and then you use Honor the Prince again in the charge phase, and you will charge 6 plus d6. So you're already moving minimum of 17, or minimum of 18, sorry, with the like the additional d6 will be at least a 1. And then you can be within 6 inches of Abaddon and go get another plus 1 to your charge. So when all is said and done, if those Terminators start within 20 inches of you and they end their advance within 6 inches of Abaddon, they charge you automatically 20 inches is really far if they were just in the middle of the table like most objectives are now in serious trouble including your home field yeah 20 so, inches is far in turn one let's be honest like 20 inches is a is far yeah, yeah 20 inches is just yeah. a long way to be able to go yeah if you start on the line against them in death and zeal they will charge and skull crack your deployment zone like without even a moment's hesitation like what are you gonna do <laughs> die is the answer um the answer is die the other thing too that, that uh people tend to forget is that csm gets a lot stronger as the game goes on uh when they hit their assault doctrine equivalent they start getting exploding sixes on both assault and melee weapons it can get like very out of hand very fast uh with the amount of damage things start to do uh as an example of this my terminator unit has three combi melters in it and i was playing a game against chaos knights at the rtt and i just rolled three sixes to hit so that was six hits so it was like they were all carrying little multi melters uh 
That is a lot of unexpected damage. It just flatlined an armager from full health. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. Uh, the exploding sixes get very out of hand very fast. So yeah, it's an army that gets stronger as the game goes on. Obviously, you run out of resources to handle Abaddon. And the whole time you're getting blasted, no pun intended, from range by noise marines. It hurts really bad. Those guns are strong. So yeah, there's a lot that goes into it. Uh, and it is a lot more than it seems like it is, is the best way that I can put it. But again, only in the hands of a talented pilot. If I had a dollar for every person that messaged me and was like, my buddy that plays once a year, I beat him up so bad every time we play and he plays Emperor's Children. I'm like, all right, that's not really what I'm talking about, man. <laughs> We're talking about top four play at LGT kind of situations where you're playing equally yeah, high like skill level players. And there's like, what's a the, I wonder what, I wonder what. The, the win rate for Emperor's Children would have been with Vic and Alex removed from it. It's a good question. That thing that's like... out. I can do that in, in the over the next couple minutes while you continue talking. Uh, but I also want to comment like yeah. I've watched a lot of Emperor's Children play. I've watched you play it. I've watched other people play yeah. it at tournaments. I watched the the streamed games yesterday, and I've also watched a lot of locals play Emperor's Children. Often playing lists very similar to what you and Vic are running right now. Uh, and yeah. um, I watched one play. Tyranids and get 20 owed where it was just yep. like that should be a winnable matchup for you or at the very least yep. one that you can hold to a draw if the dice swing against you a little bit um, yep. it's it it does take some level of player skill it's not just unga bunga down the middle that makes sense yeah. actually yeah, like really a... It's definitely one of the harder... It's not... Like, I don't want to, like, toot the horn too hard. Like, it's not GSC. It's not, like, all this other stuff where it's, like, really hard to play and, like, minor mistakes will cost you massively. Like, they'll cost you big. Like, using the heroics effectively and stuff to hold objectives because you don't have a lot of obsec is, like, a thing. But, like, once you're familiar with the play patterns, Emperor's Children become, like, basically a completely different army. Um, and it's really, really good. <laughs> There's one other thing that I wanted to talk about tonight too, aside from Emperor's Children, is I wanted to talk about secondary strategy for selecting secondaries in in games. Because I know okay. and I wanted to talk a little bit about your approach to it and kind of see like when you get into a matchup, what are like the first three things that you do? And Jeremy, this is also a good question, I think, for you as well, because you're also like a higher skill player than I am. Like, what are the things that you look at first when you're selecting secondaries going into an opponent's army? So I almost never, as Emperor's Children, have a secondary advantage in any game I have ever played, unless I play the mirror against someone that's playing an older version of my list that doesn't have a Psyker. And then I can take a Psychic secondary, and they can't, and that's cool. But as a general rule of thumb, I'm acutely aware of the fact that my secondaries just need to score some amount of points. If my, my secondaries add up to like 28, 30, we're good. Um, I just don't, I need them to not lose me the game. Basically, I need to not get zero on secondaries. Um, and that's really where, that's my entire approach. If you, if your prisoners gives me a comfortable nine and 11 if i table you we're taking no prisoners baby like 
I don't really worry about like scoring 15s. It's not, especially in singles. Like I don't give a single shit in singles if I win by one or a million. Like it doesn't matter to me at all. So I'm just trying to take secondaries that don't feed more than I'm trying to take secondaries to get hundreds. Um, there's no world where I like figure out my secondaries and then go, hmm, well, if I go first, I will win by four on turn five because that's not real. Uh, and anyone except one person, who I will not say because it will blow up their ego too much, that says they can do that is lying to you. I've only ever seen one person successfully do that and not in the middle of a game with them had them go, oh, I didn't expect you to do that. Now I have to change my whole plan. Like, that is so blindingly common that people think they're just fucking Nostradamus with the game and they aren't. Um, so yeah, just, uh, it's okay to have a good game plan and like, it's okay to have a game plan, obviously, but like, don't be like, ah, oh, this is just what I'm doing and I'm definitely going to win by like four. That's not real. Yeah. And then for me, it's been interesting because since the WTC, I've actually been playing Knights, which have a very weird secondary game in that I don't care what my opponent has. I don't care what my opponent brings. I acknowledge that I'm going to give up 15 on bring it down, and I'm going to score about 40 on my own secondary. So as long as I can hold their second and third secondary to 25 points or less, I'm going to win the game. Um, I've been playing a lot of teams as well, so differential matters, but that's less of, that's less important here. It's more just the fact that with Knights, you're almost always are going to be relying on the fact that Nephilim will ask you to take three faction secondaries um, because you can't do the the regular gt secondaries um for actions because you don't have any infantry um you can't do any of the warp one any of the any of the uh warp craft ones because you don't have any psychers uh so you're relying you would normally be relying on your opponent giving up two good kill secondaries uh and then engage or something like that um whereas in nephilim because you can just take the knight secondaries they're actually very strong so the knight secondaries that i almost always am taking are renew the oaths which is do an action within six of the center with one of my models. Um, honor the house, which I just, I get an 11 or a 13 on that every single game that I've played. I've never scored less than an 11 on it because it's just play the game and you That's get honor free. and you get points. Uh, and then uh, either yield no ground or kill secondary. And yield, it just basically focuses on making sure that my opponent never sets foot in my deployment zone, or if they do, they die um, hmm. by the end of my turn and then playing the game the rest of the game normally by controlling more objectives than my opponent and getting and having good positioning uh so it's one of these things where it's very different than from playing emperor's children where you are looking at and say okay i can get a nine on this secondary i can get a nine on this secondary i can get a 10 on this secondary those are the three that i'm going to go for and then i'm going to make sure that my opponent doesn't score theirs whereas for me i give up the 15 i just acknowledge i'm going to lose seven knights because uh, while they are durable they do still die and you can't hide the big ones. Yep. Um, and then for, uh, and then just play to win on secondaries and primary by denying them the other two. Uh, so secondary selection is less of an issue there um, as opposed to my Dark Angels, where I was always saying, I'm going to take death on the wind. And then from there, <laughs> it was a big question of, does my opponent give up a good skill secondary? And can I play engage against them? Yep. Right. Yeah, I think the big thing to, like, as Emperor's Trojan 2, I'm very rarely trying to stop my opponent's secondaries. I'm almost always just trying to win on primary and being like, yep, you got two fours, an eight, and a zero. 
16. <laughs> Good luck. Yeah, you got 45 on your secondaries, but I still beat you by 20 points. Yeah, I don't even care. <laughs> like, it's not even a bad differential win. Whatever. <laughs> yep. Uh, yeah, it, and I think that's one of the big things. Uh, and so... Vader, uh, I think it's Evan, has a really good question. Is like, how can you figure out if a secondary is bait? Um, it's like, oh, look, they give up 16 points to assassinate, but in reality, you'll never touch the characters. And I think, at least from my perspective, that comes with experience and from knowing how the other army is going to be played or is usually played. Like, a really good example of that is, uh, and this is going to fluff his ego, is TJ. Um, yep. <laughs> I played against him, and I took assassinate, and I scored a big fat zero on that assassinate because I knew that it was... I, I, I had to take it because I was playing my Ravenwing and I had no other good secondaries to take. Uh, but it was one of those moments where I was just like, huh, I'm going to score a big fat goose egg on that because he knows how to protect his characters. And we have a cliff that way. <laughs> oh, <stop. laughs> What's up, guys? Surprise dashboard, dad. Yeah, we've, 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 we've got a surprise dashboard dad joining us for the... That's all, mate. For the last Lots of part time of the with an episode of the Magic School Bus. Oh, go. excellent. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, and Glargan chat points out sisters is another really good example of that. Um, armies that can hide their characters behind layers of defense and aren't usually using their characters very aggressively assassinates a bad pick against them. But you only know that and can only recognize that by playing against it or being familiar with how that army is being played. Yeah. Also, so like, it's hard to just have we're... a blanket statement of this is a trap. Like, bring it down against knights, not a trap, because you're going to kill a few of them on the way. Also, sometimes your only win path involves killing those fucking characters, man. Like, I'm never beating TJ's Thousand Sons or Sisters unless I'm, like, murdering their characters. So I'm going to take Assassinate against them, but I'm really bad about Assassinate. I take Assassinate, like, the second it's on the table, because I am real confident I'm going to get them. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, the That is very accurate when it comes to my stance on Assassinate. Uh, I'd be bringing the noise to people's deployment zones, and if you hide all your characters there, I will thank you for the 15. Yeah, for me, I guess it's just easy for me to fall into the pit of I don't know what to do, so I'm going to take something and then give my opponent counterplay. Like Psychic Interrogate turned into the biggest trap in my last game against Yanari because my opponent just yep. sat and gave me a six on Psychic Interrogate, which okay. is a mistake you make until you've played the faction once and then you're like, well, I know not to do that next time. Yeah, I had a I, uh, almost yeah. always just take ritual when I play nodes. That's actually something that I was thinking about post is because I took cranial fisting, feasting, fisting, cranial feasting, (laughs) (laughs) whoops, whoops, cranial feasting, um, shit (laughs) in a couple games and maxed it basically in two of the games that I used it in because there's that, that time where your opponent can't get rid of sergeants or doesn't want to get rid of sergeant or doesn't think to get rid of sergeants their first time playing into somebody using cranial feasting where you just take advantage of it quite nicely. Yeah. <laughs> no. Oh, well. Yeah, as soon as we start getting merch up, that will be one of the first oh, things that we make. It'll be great. Oh, no. Um, But I think Psychic Interrogate is one of the secondaries that I'm kind of giving up on a little bit because it gives your opponent too much 
like actual agency. ability to control your mo yeah it gives them too much agency in making your decisions whereas ritual is a secondary that you can take or r d is a secondary that you can take where you kind of control the flow of how that works minus your opponent like using a lot of stuff to screen you you control those things a little bit better in those situations and i think that's just my problem generally with some of this the action secondaries is that you give your opponent agency in some of the situations to deny you those actions yeah and yeah. a really good example of that was at, uh, was at a team event a week ago um and one of my players took uh mental interrogate against harlequins and the harlequin player said fine i'm just gonna keep my characters in boats all game long and you're gonna oh, score three on that i don't like i i could bring my characters out and do something with them but uh because this is a team and differential matters i'm just gonna, i'm just not going to i'm gonna score my deadly performance gonna score my behind enemy lines and my uh, my shadow seers are just not gonna do anything all game i mean you just rope a dope too with the troop master right you just go yeah. out pay a cp and then you briefly give your opponent that I'm going to score psychic interrogate the next turn and then you pay a CP and just retreat him back into a boat. And then they're like, no, I don't get to do any psychic. Uh, you have to be really careful about that against like Tyranids though, because that zoanthrope will blow your boat apart and then you will get psychically interrogated <laughs> by someone else. <laughs> Somebody will remember that they can in fact choose the order of operations in their psychic phase and use a zoanthrope yeah. unit to just pop it full of holes before interrogating remembering yeah. the biggest tips i give to newer players is that remembering your order of operations for most things is super important and just because you paid for six inches of movement does not mean you have to use all six to go straight ahead uh if people would remember those two things more often they would have a much easier time in the game in general the amount of times that people are like bro i move eight straight ahead i'm like <laughs> that was probably <laughs> that was probably a little strong <laughs> So, so that's also something that I've seen the most. And I'm not like the most skilled player. I'm I think I'm at Cliff's like me and Cliff are at the same level of play, basically, to be totally honest. And what I've <laughs> okay, Cliff, you be nice to me. That's nice. I like the, the ego inflation. Um but <laughs> That is that inflation playing... self-deprecation? I don't know. <laughs> little from column A, little from column B. A little bit of both. It's both. Um, is that you always have to tell people, especially new players, like not to just run for. They don't have to run forwards. Like they don't have to just move straight at people. And then like the next lesson is you don't have to move twenty inches. Like you don't have to. You can move twenty inches, but don't just move twenty inches because you can move it. And that was the example that I gave one person who moved a Farseer like all the way towards me. And then I used a Tyranifex to melt it off the board. And I was like, you didn't have to move that all the way forwards. It just wasn't a thing that you needed to do because all you did was put something in a position to die. No, yeah. uh, you'll get a good chuckle out of this. Uh, Francois, who won Capital City Bloodbath and plays on teams with me, um, his last four tournament games against Necrons, every single one has been against the pregame move Necron player, Necron faction. You want to guess what they did turn every single time, whether they went first or second? Right towards Pre game people. moved towards the Tyranid player, who then advanced <laughs> and charged a nine-man trick. <laughs> Three times he scored behind enemy lines, turn one with a nine-man warrior brick. Oh, because he would... Behind enemy lines against Necrons? Oh, yeah. Because he just lives... He just vibes in their deployment zone. 
to be fair, you do kind of have to vibe in their deployment zone no matter what. Kind of got to get there. Yeah, you're, you're, gonna not, de- gonna, you you're not gonna deny that herd prey or that um, what's it called uh, purge point <laughs> that they get for you not being in their deployment zone. Man, I mean, I, I get it. Like, I understand. Like, PTSD. I understand the plan there. <laughs> I will always, forever rank Necrons. I think higher than other people just because every game into Necrons feels like a desperate struggle in my brain. And I, as I had to explain to one Necron player, is that I have to work twice as hard as you to make sure that I don't die immediately. Like, I won a game against a Necron player only because a freaking Harpy mortal wounded the Silent King to death on the last turn of the last movement phase, of the last charge phase of the game. It and counts. Like, it counts. But it was like, at the end of the game, my opponent was like, oh man, that felt really, that felt terrible. I was like, for you? <laughs> like... I had to bank on that that harpy rolling a six or a fuck on that freaking thing to kill him. I don't know what you're yeah. talking about, but definitely I have, uh, that pregame move does not have to be moved to go forward. You can move it backwards. You can move your stuff around in your deployment zone. Like movement is in all directions, folks, unless the robot mm-hmm. tells you otherwise. That's true. Yeah, I have a scarab-shaped scar, like, on the back of my neck from that game at WTC. <laughs> from the hack, eh? Yeah, from... This fucking... Is this the back? Is this the front? That's the front. That's the front. This bastard. Ugh. Fucking, come on. Check out. <laughs> there we go. And I guess, while we yeah, have... Yeah, the idea. While we have Dashboard Dad himself on on the the stream do you want to talk about the dashboard a little bit and like what you've got planned next for it or kind of what you are doing with it right now yeah so there's a couple like sort of new tweaks we're putting in place and then something i'm working on that i hope to get done by like the end of this month um the new tweaks behind the scenes are like the ability to filter in a more discreet way for player experience because we we took a look at the distribution of players, the number of events they've attended, and there are a lot of players that have been to one. Like most players have been to one out of the 9,000 or so that we've got information for. Um, a decent number have been to two. And then you start running into like the hunter in like a few hundred have been to three, and then you start running into a scenario where anyone who's been to four or more fits into this like very clean sort of 600-ish player group. Um, and those 600 players are absolutely feasting <laughs> on the people that are showing up for the first time. Um, and so it makes sense to sort of like separate out and disaggregate the performance of all these different tiers of players from one another to get a better sense of like, if I'm showing up to a tournament for the first time and I want a reasonable chance against someone that is also showing up to a tournament for the first time, like, what should what should I be interested in bringing? What if I have multiple options? What if I want to go, like, three and two? Let's see what happens. Um, I think it also really drives home the idea that, like, and it's going to be a subject of a pretty long blog post, that most people going to GTs, um, if you are like me, your mindset going should not be, I'm going to leave this GT four and one crushing it because I'm an excellent player in my garage slash backyard slash bedroom slash office, 
when I'm playing with my friends. Like I should expect to show up and like maybe win a couple games and be really excited about that um, and try to use it as a learning experience. And if you're looking to win a GT, you're really going to need a lot more practice um, just at like the event of going to an event. So it's going to take a while. The other thing, the bigger thing that we're working on is this like very large scale at a glance faction health tab on the dashboard, which will in one screen give you overall win rate, disaggregated win rates for differential um, experience levels for folks, um, the overrepresentation for a given faction, the record distribution for that faction. So like how many players at a five round event go 0 and 5, 4 or 1 and 4, 2 and 3, 3 and 2, et cetera, et cetera. Um, to suss out like what are the odds that somebody goes positive and then also give us a sense of like sort of skill gaps because there are quite a few factions with say 52 to 55% win rates but very few of those wins include uh, folks that have gone four and one or five and oh in an event and they include a ton of people who've gone three and two so that would tell us like oh cool this faction's like very relatively high floor for performance um, but like also requires a relatively high degree of skill to pilot with effectiveness and the inverse would be true also um when you look at the dashboard yeah. right now it's like necrons have like a 13 percent win differential or something like that yeah currently between people who've been to more events as compared to those who are at their first event right yeah. so you do have those like really big spreads for some factions between experienced and inexperienced players yep so hopefully, I mean, um, so in order we're down under today, uh, Adam had the Falcon on. And as always, as he has been for the past few years, Falcon kept trying to drive home. Big hearts, yeah, big hearts for both those guys. Uh, Falcon tried driving home the idea that win rates really aren't everything. It's just not, it's not the be-all end-all, despite the fact that it's like so prominently displayed on our dashboard. Uh, even we don't really take it seriously as, a, as an individual separate statistic as much as it is a starting point for us to start poking around and asking more questions. Um, and that's why we care about the like player skill. That's why we care about faction matchups. That's why we care about things like overall points scored, all that good stuff. So yeah, hopefully by the end of the month we'll have something good going on. Hopefully have a blog post with that sort of analysis reassuring uh, new slash bad players like me that we're not quite as bad as we think we are, but also are in fact a little bit worse than we think we are at the same time. <laughs> Cliff quickly becoming also the most infamous blogger on the website and <laughs> Reddit <laughs> component of this of this show. Woo! Some of those man, the Reddit hot takes coming after that post were incredible. Like I would kill for the opponents that some of these guys apparently have, where they're going to show up with Votan and get spanked, apparently. Um, yeah, that much good, consistent practice, man. <laughs> Tim, you know dad life, man. Work, kids, dinner. You know the vibe. I got you. Do we want to transition into questions, then? We can take some questions. We can have... Cliff on to answer questions with us as well. And then if anybody has yeah. dashboard specific questions, now is the time to ask it. Um, because this is one of the few times where we get to have Cliff on the main show to answer questions hey. about the dashboard. Or if or you just, have, just like, talk Cliff about questions in general, like just anything about Cliff that you'd like to know. So now would be <laughs> this, this, this can be a get to know Cliff segment as Cliff, well. Cliff AMA. Yeah. Cliff AMA. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> Love it. 
All right. Shall we launch into questions then? Yep. Yeah, let's do it. Bring it. Like, got questions. We don't have our Ennis today. Uh, at Vince and Dr. Stats Daddy. So with the Votem <clears throat> nerfs, how are they placed in the meta? Are we still terrified or is there hope? I think they're um, still a solid A tier faction. Like they're not, they're probably still an S tier faction to be totally honest, but it's going to, yeah. I don't know what Anthony's opinion on this is aside from the fact that once we hit the end of October and the full line is out, we'll probably get the real Votan experience. And the real Votan experience is probably an S tier faction. Yeah. So they're still <laughs> criminally fucked. Like it's, it's not as bad. Like I won't lose now to someone playing their first tournament. Like, seven out of ten times which is cool uh but it's still <laughs> not it's still not good like the problem is we exist in this wonderful state right now where there are other fairly busted shit around right there's bile there's necrons there's cow there's this and there's that and when the data slate eventually i'm told comes and punches those dudes in the nuts and lowers their level as well votan just goes like oh i'm the you know i'd probably still put them in the top three armies in the game they just go back to being the best so it doesn't matter like it's fine it's better you can like it is physically possible for you to lose a non-mirror game with them now which is more than i would have been willing to say before this um but it's not like it's not done yet. Like they definitely are still insane. You definitely should still be worried. Um, yeah, not ideal, but better. And I'll take better. Um, I feel like I can play something approximating a game of 40k against them. I don't feel like I'm playing 40k and they're playing Apocalypse. So, Anthony, what do you? What would you say your odds are against an equally skilled player playing both hands? If I'm playing Emperor's Children and they're playing like the Ymir Beam list yeah. with like a bunch of Zerkers, I don't know, like 25%. Ooh, if yeah. that, like, yeah, it seems it's really unfavored. Like, yeah. it's not good. Like, really good shooting backed up by the best melee unit in the game is just pretty powerful when I don't have super great secondaries and theirs are better than mine. Um, yeah. So, yeah. That part is rough, but they have less shit. Like, I don't just lose four free now. Like, before you, like, I wasn't joking before when I said, like, there was a, like, if I took Ymir Beams to a tournament, there's a 0% chance I lose a non-mirror game. It wouldn't have happened. I would have dropped zero non-mirror games as pre-nerf voting. It wouldn't have, there was no world. Um, whereas now, like, you can maybe lose to Tau, or you can maybe lose to, like, really well-piloted other stuff. But if you're on the level, like, like if I were to play, like, you know, an equally skilled player playing them like with the knowledge in their mind that their secondaries are kill you based and not sit in your deployment zone based. Um, you have very little chance of them just not just steamrolling you when they decide to. The, the thing is that they're in the pilot seat, they control the tempo the whole time because their offense and defense is better than yours and they're not, they're fast enough to put that on you. Um, so you can't ever really be like, I'm going to be fine. Because if like if you both stare at each other, you might beat Votan. If the Votan player gets like confused about how the game works, you got a chance. <laughs> but, 
like so what you're saying is they realize drunk during the game like real dwarves or just sign them up for some coaching with people that want to play passively and then maybe you'll get there but if you don't (laughs) if they don't do that then if they go and hit you you're fucked (laughs) so but anthony i hear that votan are slow they're slow if you don't try to we've, leave. We've done this. Let's not. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I was literally just trying to make Anthony upset on live on air because I know that it's possible yeah. by saying that they're slow and short range and they'll never get anywhere. I don't know what you're talking about, Anthony. It's true if you don't try to get anywhere. It's true. All right, we do have some more interesting questions. So um, I think, <laughs> yeah, Votan's still an issue, uh, but yeah. they're beatable now. And yeah. we've We've, we're now seeing that in, in with our internal testing as well. Uh, so with the number of dominant melee builds going up in the meta, creations, Empress Children, even Yanari to an extent, uh, what would you advise players to do to ex- adapt? Is it simply changing game philosophy to a psychic shooting-based approach if and where possible? I wouldn't describe Empress Children as a melee army. They're definitely way more on the combined arms front. Like They're not the best melee army. I'd agree with that because... Your list Sorry. is what? Four Blastmasters in it? Five Blastmasters in it? Mine has three, but I'm built to play on GW terrain. Vix had five, and Alex had four. Like, there's a like a good amount of shooting. The Venom Crawlers, the Terminators, like, there's a lot of shooting in that list. And when you play against something like Bile, a lot of what you're doing is shooting. Um, so it's not... Re- like, it's... It does the in-between thing where, like, if you're a shooting army, it'll come really fast at you and punch you. If you're, like, a Mm -hmm. slower melee army, it just hangs back a little bit and shoots you. uh, And then eventually goes in later. But Bile, however, should not be taking any guns. That's a melee army. And that is a real thing. Um, But most of the better armies in the game that I interact with aren't super melee-based. They just have strong melee components, right? Like, I would never call Tyranids a melee army. They have great shooting. They're awesome in the psychic phase. They dump out mortals out of phase with spore mines. Like, it's not a melee army. They're Um, a combined arms uh, army. And then if you look at, I guess, a good example of an army that's top in the meta is Sisters. And Sisters is a a more of a melee army than a shooting army because you usually have, you know, at most two Retributor units. But, like, those Retributor units are super important and do a huge amount of damage. True, and if you don't play them well, then you usually will lose your game pretty handily. You lose. Those yeah. are very yeah. important units. So, again, combine arms. Yeah, okay, exactly. yeah, I see what you're saying with that. Um, I think people just... The only one that wouldn't be like that, and most Harlequin lists are more shooty than yeah. punchy these days. Harlequin, I think that's because Harlequins... I think it's because Harlequins move fast. Like, people use combat to move. Like, you're not using melee just to kill things. You're using melee to move your force onto somebody else's force. And movement is the most important aspect of the game. So you need to charge to take things. Like, you can't just let your opponent sit on a primary point all game collecting points. And the Harlequins do that by advancing 22 inches around the board and then shooting you to death. (laughs) Still unaddressed. Cool times. (laughs) Yeah. Totally dead faction, Cliff. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I, yeah, we, we, it. Said, we, we handled it. Light is light is dead. So, I, I, Curie can actually attest to this. From the minute I played Harlequins, I was like, oh, the broken part is the advance and shoot. And, like, every single patch, I'm like, they did the wrong thing again. And someone 
Curie will watch me have this argument, what, four times now? <laughs> we'll be like, no, the part's the transhuman. No, it's the luck dice. No, it's the whatever. And I'm like, no, no. It's the fact Every that I can move 22 can... inches and shoot a six-inch gun. Yeah. If I can only move 16 yeah. inches, that's a huge difference. Yeah. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it's the... So Harlequins are already so much faster than you and every <laughs> single inch that you give them over top of that is like an exponential gain of how much better they are than you it's really really wild also that like strats fucking question. bullshit yeah but yeah, yeah this is a question, question for anthony uh an interview on bitcoin oh. had things like death guard with minus one damage Ooh. and decent fight blast control as a counter to emperor's children even though they're slow as shit can they pose a problem <laughs> no. i feel like uh i would have go ahead what are you gonna say nathan no. i was just i feel like jeremy added a word in there that's all <laughs> no i didn't know oh they, I... it does slow as shit i thought i didn't see that there so i was like eh, jeremy word for word have an opinion <laughs> yeah uh I would have to suffer like a medical incident, I think, to lose to Death Guard. Like the, I don't think there's ever a world where <laughs> Emperor's Children piloted appropriately loses to Death Guard. They're so much slower than you. Like I don't even understand what like series of events could lead to me getting like actually fight lasted by them. Because like, all right, for those of you who don't understand, and this is like an important clarification for this. The way the Foul Blight spawn works is you got a six-inch aura that says you didn't charge, you don't fight first. But that's the end of the text. Like, that stops there. And if you fight last them, they go in bracket three, you go in bracket two, and you just punch them in the face with everything before they swing at all. If you, as the Emperor's Children player, disgrace your legion by getting within three inches of that guy, <laughs> you then also get fought lasted which is really bad because then you end up in the bottom bracket that said even then you still get one activation before they get to go and if you somehow engineered a situation where you charged that like you got to pick where you charged got fault lasted or sorry got stench vats then got fault lasted and your one activation wasn't enough you deserve to lose that game like Emperor's Children will only get you so far. This isn't an Emperor's Children problem. That's a piloting issue. Uh, <laughs> all of the power in the world is not going to save you from that level of throwing, except Creation's Vile. So, yeah. Because you'll fight no know. matter what. Yeah, it doesn't matter. You can charge them straight in. You can charge the Blight Spawn, like, base to base. Doesn't matter. Who cares? Like, it's just a little dude with three-inch bubble of marginal punishment ridiculous thanks Naj. yeah i had to ask the question because it's in their discord but uh that was my thought on it about um bit of background i actually watched anthony play uh, a local death guard player who's quite skilled quite good with the faction at salt city really uh, gt it was a good game uh but you put him in the ground yeah he never left his deployment zone and i beat him by like 60 
stats, Papa. This is actually a question for the three of us stats guys. Um, with CSM being so popular, would you ever consider breaking them apart for stats purposes, similar to how certain Space Marine factions are? The answer is that we already do in the dashboard. You can look at sub factions um, when you when you when you click on Chaos Space Marines, and it will show it. The reality is is that they don't have their own books, uh, with the exception, obviously, Tethons and Death Guard do, but they're their own thing. They aren't CSM. Um, it's just more of an it's just the way things are uh and for space marines we lump them together for almost all of our analyses um only really breaking them out if there's a really unique army that's been doing particularly well like blood angels yeah the only reason those guys are separate on the dashboard is because they have different books and because it's funny to see how badly imperial fists are doing <laughs> that's fair and crimson fists of course if it, if it was up to me we would not split Space Marines up to, into their individual factions because I hate it. But <laughs> it's not just up to me because I'm not a monarch. This is an, an equal footing team of people who make stats decisions. And it makes sense with the situation being what it currently is with books and supplements and stuff like that for the Space Marine factions to have their own individual things until they all get shoved into the same book and they no longer have supplements, and then they'll all be under one thing. So they all play I guess, so differently that I think it's fair. Like the like I have yeah. no interest in playing like any form of space marines, but man, I fucking love blood angels. Like mm -hmm. and like I could be convinced to play like white scars or iron hands. Maybe if space marines get a new book, I'll be interested in a new faction because gameplay mechanics are more important than lore. And I don't care what anyone tells you. But like the I don't. Like right now, it's not really a thing. Oh, we got a tiny cliff. Guest star. We got tiny cliff. Tiny cliff. I'm actually gonna, uh, Tim. I have seen your question, but I have a feeling that this is actually like an entire bonus episode with Anthony and Typhus that would go over really well. Australia versus the world. What team of eight would you pick to take on the champs? Ooh. I think that that's would a discussion be you and Typhus should have on uh, on one of your uh, one yeah, of your little side up shows about that because I think that, that would be a very interesting right fantasy draft of uh, the best players in the world outside of Australia to try to take down the eight that won. It's legitimately difficult, by the way. Yeah. Oh no, it's, it would be. Funny. I think that'd be Australia. a long, and much longer discussion. Um, this is actually a really interesting question from Brendan. Uh, have you seen the AOS MetaWatch article and video? What do you think of them? Does that sort of approach seem like a good idea? Are there any concerns you have about their approach or data collection? And then, is the forty to sixty percent range good enough for forty k, or should it be tighter because it's more? It has more rules and is more granular than AOS. 40 to 60% is such a cop-out. Like, holy shit. Well, and the Are thing is, is that in the AOS MetaWatch article, they actually said that their target for AOS is 45 to 55. Yeah. I mean, so I... First, that was awesome. Like, kudos to Games Workshop for producing a, like, real example of, like, hey, here's some, like, actual data analysis we're doing behind the scenes. Awesome. Definitely hijacked from what... Honest Wargamer and crew are oh, doing. Like, I mean, they probably rib the notes yeah. from Honest Wargamer and then use them. Yeah. But, like, good on them for stealing stealing the notes from, like, people that are doing really good stats work. Like, they have, they've got great shit going on. The, the difference between a 60% win rate faction and a 40% win rate faction, your odds of, like, going and doing well at a tournament are, are so vastly different that, like, you can't 
that's like if you're if your game state is out of control and you're just trying to like get it back in line that's a great place to start but it really should not take professional game designers very long despite the level of complexity inherent to the game to start narrowing that in i think we're already seeing that right in 40k like we've seen win rates for the majority of like non-astartes slash harlequin slash tiered factions come into this like 55 to 45 zone um which is great right like that's like net good for the game and it tells you you've got a little bit of work to do here and some mm -hmm. baseline work to do with like the space marine book but like man you can't be happy with that sort of distribution no. that's crazy and you shouldn't be because it means that you have players especially in that 40 to 45 bracket that are just going to give up yeah i think you can have a couple factions on both ends and that's kind of it though like you can't have and if they're low representation factions then that's i think also okay for the general health of the game like harlequins were at a 60 percent win rate back in eighth when they like or early ninth when they totaled marine factions and that was kind of all they did for a while and i think those kind of fringe situations are okay but that requires a level of statistical knowledge of the game state beyond just win rate, right? Yeah. You need to know the inner pieces of your game and how they're working, and you need to look past win rate. So I think the key thing to look at is like 40 to 60 might be okay if the context within the 40 to 60 isn't awful for people's game experiences. Like maybe that 40% win rate faction just requires like Maybe there's like a 55% win rate version of that list currently in existence. Like what you see right. kind of with Necrons right now. Where Necrons... GSC. Yes, or Death Watch. Yeah, <laughs> GSC or like Necrons, <laughs> where you have like a 13 to 15% differential between experienced and inexperienced players. Like those are the weird kind of situations where I think 40 to 60 is appropriate, but 45 to 55 is ideal. In yeah, right. like my opinion... But I also agree with Glyph that you you have to say that. You can't be like, 40 to 60 is great. you Because <laughs> <laughs> that's not true if you don't explain why 40 to 60 is great. Otherwise, it is a cop-out. Like, you should also, GW, you're a huge company. Shouldn't you aim higher and be like, yeah, 45 to 55? Like, maybe, maybe promise a little bit more. I also think AOS has a centralizing factor. Yeah, of the double yeah. turn, which had helps a, with balancing had their game. Some out. thoughts. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's a good goal. So, um, yeah. how you yeah. come about that? Sure. Yeah. The uh, also, like, I don't think Games Workshop put out in an official channel that they're okay with forty to sixty as their win rate for forty k. Uh, I think that no, was a. They have not said. I think that was taken that from that a, was... a. Yeah, I think it was taken from a private stream. So, like the. I like broadly that that's not great, but also like there are things like Harlequins where in a given weekend, if four pilots go on a good run, the faction has a 65% win rate. Nice. Like, yeah. like what are we going to do about that? I don't know, man. Like you can tell those four people to yeah. suck more so they don't get the whole faction nerfed. Like, I don't know. It seems it's like a rough spot to be in. Right. Like even which when... is why looking at the, the bigger picture for like a good example is, is we have 10,000 games of Nephilim played now, something close to that. Right. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. If uh, 500 of those are Harlequin games, that's probably a big enough sample to start drawing conclusions from. But if it's yeah. Yeah. 40 games of Harlequins, it's probably not enough. Um, right. And just to reiterate, for anyone who hasn't read the Bedwatch article, I 
recommend you go and read it because it's actually a, a very well written and very good overview of GW's balance guidelines for how they want to balance AOS. I wish that they would do the same for 40k, or maybe they are, and we're going to see that with the next bat with the next data slate where they'll publish that as well. <laughs> I feel I like AOS that. gets all the best things though. <laughs> they get the best model sold. They get the best. Yeah, they don't get the best game, so they get yeah. everything else best. But so their goals were number one, uh, external balance. Average win rates should be forty-five to fifty-five percent. The the idea basically being a five percent uh, margin of error about the fifty percent threshold. And they actually look at both battle tomes and sub factions, which is huge. The idea that you're looking at both of those things is is quite significant then the next their next goal is in is on internal balance they want the majority of the war scrolls of the data sheets in in each in each battle tome to be used in more than five percent of competitive lists which basically wow. means that like you look at the space marine line that's never going to happen but say you look at i don't know the the craft worlds line and you want to see 60 percent of the data sheets showing up in more than five percent of the lists that's a that's that's quite the goal, and that that basically is is looking for internal balance within the book. You know, the words that are often thrown about when a book is really broken is that oh, it has amazing internal balance because you can choose anything from there <laughs> and it do really well with it. Uh, yeah, great internal balance, terrible external balance. Yeah, uh, and then the last one is uh, it was very yeah. true for Drakarian, which is why we spent a year playing whack a mole with that army. <laughs> and then the last one, this one doesn't apply to forty k uh, because we don't really have these. Um, they want universal options, uh, which are like things like endless spells uh, to be used in less than 10% of army rosters. And so we don't really have anything equivalent to that in 40k that I can think of. Maybe they target soup, but I don't think that's something like that's really viable to target. Yeah. yeah, maybe they do that. Maybe they look at an agents of chaos, agents of the Imperium and uh, traveling players. Basically saying we don't want to see these in more than 10% of, of, of the respective lists. Yeah. Um, and yes, uh, Archon Rahal has a really good point that AOS has fewer, far fewer data sheets per book, so it's easier to achieve that sixty percent threshold. Yep. Um, with you know, Craft World, Space Marines, uh, CSM, it's a lot harder to achieve that. Uh, so that's the that's the so kind of the third goal. And then, I think if those first two goals were achieved for forty k, we would be in a utopia. Like to be able to pull. Yeah lists and look at them and have that level of list diversity as well as that level of faction diversity at the top tables because right now we do actually have really good faction diversity at the top tables but when you drill it down each one of those lists looks very similar to each other from the yeah. specific from the respective factions and that's a data sheet number problem probably for a lot of factions yeah. like space marines is the biggest example there's like over 100 data sheets in that faction and it's impossible for all of them to see play at that level, even with a faction that has 15% or more meta representation, right? Like, you're just never going to see Scorpius varietal number three with the plasma <laughs> Omega Destructor on it. Like, it's just not yeah. going to happen. Yep. Yeah, I'll do it. Uh, I'll run it. To Death Watch, you'll, when you Cliff win Death Watch it. Best in Faction next year, you'll you'll bring the Omega I'm Destructor. I'm serious about that. Only because I think it's such low-hanging fruit. I mean, we should definitely yeah. have a setting goals episode at the start of the next ITC oh, season man, and see how we do. Hell yeah. We'll do that after LVO rolls. Like, after we get back. That'll be our episode. Oh, God. Because <laughs> we won't have stats to talk about. We'll be like, LVO is a party. 
Here's some fucking goals. It'll be the LBO debrief so, because I think all of us are planning to be there. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> I thought it was really interesting about that AOS thing real quick before we move on. Um, one of the factions I think is the coolest in that game is Beast Chaos, which is essentially Minotaurs and Dragon Ogres. And they took them from being complete shit and took a mechanic that definitely shouldn't exist in that game, which is army-wide, like, mega rend that gets even better, and just jammed it on them, and it made them work, which is amazing. <laughs> Didn't like, they do it in a White Dwarf article, too? They, like, took a White yeah, Dwarf article, they're yeah. like, here's a fix! <laughs> it's it literally yeah, the guy slapping duct tape on a leak in that container meme, Dude, basically. It's, it's amazing. Like, actually, Actually hilarious. I Perfect, dude, it'd yeah. be like if they put out a white dwarf next week and it just gave guard judgment tokens. If they were just like, fuck it. Bang. <laughs> <And> <laughs> can can you imagine though? Yeah, this is the uh number of the emperor is mad at you tokens. Yeah. Each uh, one improves AP by one on all of your guns and gives rerolls. Yeah. Vengeance tokens, bro. Come on. <laughs> yeah. Oh, sorry. Tom Layton put it perfectly. Imagine giving an army faction wide additional two points of AP. Imperial Fist skyrocket. <laughs> yeah, no, sure. No, no. Imperial Fist gets AP two bolter base. And then they Oof. like add two. Please so, like, no. Doctrine gives them another one. Like, just let's it go. Stops. It just yeah. it stacks yeah. to AP4 on their heavy bolters just immediately. Floating sixes, ignore cover, let's. Yeah, do let's it. do it. All right. We've talked about let's this before, it. so I'm going to skip yeah, the questions. <laughs> Sam, I don't know who Lee Rollins is, but if he's going for it, I'm, he's probably going to win. <laughs> we should probably just take a couple more questions. Yeah. yeah I've got two more that I wanted us to, to go through. Um, uh, this one just a real quick one. Anthony, how much higher does the Drukari win rate have to go for you to bounce back to them? <laughs> if they put core back on pain engines, I would think about it. And unnerfed artists. If they put, if they just get if they put core back on pain engines and unnerfed artists, I will hold you to that. I would do it. I would unbox my painted my painted Drukari army immediately. If they just did half of that, if they just took core and put it back on pain engines. I would unbox that shit from my closet and I would play it at the very next GT event in my area immediately. Just core is not enough. But if they do both, I'll definitely give them a shot. I'll do it if they just give them core. I'll do it. I'll be right back to bringing paint engines to everything. You're I, I would be so happy. I know. I just love that army so much. I just want it to be paint engine focused. Don't got to tell me, it. dude. <laughs> Look, I am a homunculus <laughs> in real life. I want to be homunculus on the table too. Fair. <laughs> All right, this is actually probably two kind of good questions to to, to ride out on. Um, for a newish player, is it best to ride one army through meta fluctuations or switch it up? It and I'm gonna I'm gonna extend on the expand on it a little bit. Let's just assume that you don't have to worry about spending money on armies. Sure. Because um, that can be if, a barrier for a lot of people. Yeah. If you... It depends on how often you're looking at meta rerolling and where you start. If you start strong, like on a strong faction, then like ride it for a while. But if it gets fucking murdered, then switch. Like when you're early in your development cycle, it's important to know when you're fucking up versus when your list is scamming you uh so like 
net listing is really important early. Playing a strong faction is really important early. And you can dial down... You shouldn't, but you can dial down your faction strength portion of that choice the more experience you get. Like, I don't think Emperor's Children is the best army in the game, but it very fucking clearly can still compete all the way to the top when piloted well. So I play Emperor's Children because it makes me the most happy. <coughs> but I'm far enough along in the development cycle to know, like, when I'm fucking up versus when my army's fucking up. And that's yeah. really important when you're new. Yeah, I think I can actually speak to that. A really good example of that is for there was a period of time this year where I was playing Dark Angels and I kept hitting a wall in terms of my performance. And I realized by about the third GT with them that it was the army that was the problem because I just could not convert that into... I was going X and 1, X and 2 at events and I couldn't convert that into podiums or or, or, or undefeateds. I picked up Knights and immediately finished second at 120-person major. Yep. So it's just like that kind of thing. It's it, it can be difficult to recognize it because I'm I've been playing for years now, but it can be difficult to recognize that as as a new as a young player as an earlier or newish player. And that's where you sometimes want to turn to the community and say, "Hey, I'm playing Imperial Fist, and I can't go better than three and two. Well, if you're going three and two as Imperial Fist, you're probably a pretty good player. You're killing it, yeah, <laughs> crushing it. You're the you're the hero yeah. they deserve. That's a 60 in which case if you take rate, off those training awesome. wheels and pick up. Tyranids, Harlequin, Sisters, Empress Children, some other army that's sitting in the upper half, you're going to find yourself doing a lot better. But it's difficult to yeah. just say that whether you ride or switch without knowing what faction you're playing currently. Also, definitely don't play Imperial Fists, go 3 and 2, and then play someone playing a stronger faction and whine the entire time about how you would beat them if you were playing a stronger faction. Just nut up and do it then. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, like switching factions is like some people think that switching factions a lot is like a bad thing. It just depends on what you want to do and how you want to play the game. Like switch your faction as much as you're comfortable with, but also realize like why you're making that decision and like that there's a learning curve every time you switch a faction to catch up to speed to it. Yep. Yeah. And then the last question, and this is something that's come up a few times, but I don't think we've ever identified it. Does playing casual 40k, crusade, doubles, anything not competitive, um, make your competitive game better, worse, or not have an effect? I'll answer this last. I want to see what you guys have to say. I'm of two minds on this. Um, I play... Leading up to the WTC before I took a, a break from this, I would play every single week at my local club. Um, and I would always bring, for the most part, either my Dark Angels or a silly, slightly silly off meta list because I wanted to teach people. I wanted to, I, and, and, and so I would, I would intentionally handicap myself. I would still play to win, but there would be some goal affiliated with playing more casually. And it would either be improving the local players, making them better, or seeing if I could win against someone's net list um, with you know something silly like guard. Um, so there's, and to do that, it was always a goal of focusing on things that I knew I needed to improve on that playing meta factions were more forgiving on. So things like fight face sequencing, um, making sure that you use your movement correctly, um, even making sure that you're doing target priority because sometimes you're not going to kill what you want to go into, that kind of thing. Um, 
So that's my position. I don't necessarily feel that it made me a better player, but it made my meta better, which then meant that I would get more challenging games at the actual tournaments, which would then improve me. But playing playing casually in of itself, I don't feel improves me. I think you can use casual play to like improve your game, but it requires you to like actively think about doing that when you're doing it. Like in some crusade games, I would practice like combat movement stuff and things like that, like in those phase, like in those games. So it wasn't about list construction, but it would be like, okay, during this crusade game, because I'm playing a game, I'm going to test some kind of close combat phase thing like let's try charging into heroic intervention range and then piling out of combat so i can see what that looks like when you do it and maybe that's not something you do purposefully right in in that setting but like just playing the game can improve like the way that you do it but crusade and some narrative versions of the game have like a bunch of extra stuff in them that can distract you from how things perform in game. Like at a certain point in crusade, I had a winged hive tyrant that ignored invulnerable saves. That's just not <laughs> the way that life works guys. Um, when I watched that night, one phase of Megara, when I watched that winged hive tyrant charge in one phase, a night Megara from full health to zero health. I was like, that probably doesn't happen in real life, but it was real funny to watch him do it right now. Um, like, if you go into games to practice things, like then you'll get more out of it because more games is more reps is more practice. But like otherwise, there's like all this extra stuff in narrative that can distract you from improving, I think, in competitive. Mm -hmm. Unless you use the goals from Crusade Leagues to like get hobbying done, in which case it can only help but improve you by giving you those 10 extra points of hobby points. Uh, I'm going to interpret this slightly differently in that I don't really play Crusade, but I play lots of cas what I would say is casual competitive games, which is like I will show up with a borderline okay list because I like the models in it because that's my primary approach to the game, like three monoliths, like termite drills in a Death Watch Force. Uh, and just to see, like, is this one, is this unit actually as dog shit as the internet broadly thinks it is? Um, and two, because I like the models and I want to see what I can do with them. And that my my competitive context is, is such that like I can do that and have a good game and also be walking someone through potential mistakes they're making, which in turn helps me think more, more carefully about the steps that I'm taking. Uh, because even though I'm taking these units that I'm like, mean mean thinking these are stronger than you think i'm like mm, they're actually not that good i need to like do this appropriately uh if i actually want to try and win this game so i find it i find it useful that makes sense makes sense so i and this may will come as zero shock to people that know me well but i am a uh to borrow a portion of a bruce lee quote i am a one kick ten thousand times type of person uh so when i practice stuff it is deep in the repetition uh tank i play stuff a lot over and over and over and over and over and over again like if i was gonna play like a thousand point like i probably just wouldn't play a thousand point game right like that's not like a thing that i'm gonna like use free time on i'll probably just play total war if i want to like fuck about 40k to me is in many ways um like my personal 
replacement for the martial arts I'm not currently doing. So like when I'm training for like a, a boxing fight, right? I don't do like sparring rounds where I have one glove on. Like that just doesn't, that's not a real thing. You would never do that because it doesn't make sense. Like Cliff doesn't try to play basketball with his feet when he's like bored. Like that's not like a really good way to don't develop judge. some skill that he's missing. <laughs> um, so like, yeah, look, like even the idea is making him laugh. He's like, what the fuck? You would never do that. Like, it's just ridiculous. So like, I, not that those games are any less legitimate ways to play if you want to just try and enjoy the game, but I don't see a whole lot of value in them as like a competitive outlet past actually what Nathan was saying about them upping your hobby goals as someone that doesn't really interface with that side of the hobby i could see that being important and it's probably very difficult to keep motivation on the hobby side of things when you're trying to grind games for the competitive side of the game so yeah yeah that's my step that makes sense i also think like it's important to recognize that not all of your hobby has to feed the other part of the hobby like if you enjoy crusade and casual games like, just go and enjoy the casual crusade games and enjoy it for, like, storytelling and hobby and stuff like that. And that it is an equally valid way to enjoy the game as compared to, say, like, tournament re-racking 100 times to practice, to, school, like, see what secondaries work, or to break a faction, right? Right. Yeah, definitely. There's, there's a thousand ways you can do this. Yeah, like I, I, whenever my store does Crusade Leagues, I always play in them because I just enjoy it. It's fun. I'll play a silly, I'll, I'll play the the models that I haven't been painting because it gives me a reason to paint them. Um, but yeah. it's also one of these things where at the end of the day, if I'm given the choice between playing a Crusade game and playing a 2K GT game, I'm going to play the 2K GT game. Right. I also think that. Don't feed into the like online. There's been a lot of uh, competitive versus narrative clashing as of late. Uh, just don't feed into that. Let everybody enjoy the game the way that they want to. And don't treat anybody as less or more because they do something different than you do or do the same thing that you do. Yeah, we're all playing yeah. toys, guys. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, like, yeah, <laughs> all right. It's just we're painting tiny people and having them kill each other and using dice to represent it. It is you're not making tank noises occasionally <laughs> while driving your Shame tanks on around you. the battle. Are you... If you're not. If you're not doing True. It. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah. I was misunderstood that. I thought you were shaming me for doing it. And I was getting no, upset no, no, no. just deep inside. I, uh... Right, do we want... Like, when I play <laughs> we... Ember's Children, my pupils actually take over my entire eye like a Slanesh Marine. So I understand. Yeah. Anthony gets Anthony, you get like anime eyes. Your eyes get like really big. I get really excited when that advance in charge prayer is successful. <laughs> I guess we can take like another question or two if we have them. Yeah, yeah we've got a few more. I skipped over a couple. There were some that were in chat yeah. actually that I think we want to identify. Oh, we should uh, do that. Yeah, definitely. Chat, 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 chat. Um, oh, actually, this is a fun one. Well, uh, the other ones. Cliff, what is your basketball experience? Oh, oh, <laughs> from Sam. <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> this is a long time ago. So I'm 39. When I was um, 
a pretty good high school basketball player and like a pretty good AAU basketball player. AAU is amateur athletic union. It's like the like pre-pro pro track circuit for athletes in baseball, basketball, and football here in the United States. Um, like I got like soft recruited to UMich to play ball, but that would have been me riding the bench until like my fourth year. Um, but like, uh, what's what's like an example? Yeah, I don't know. I'm like I'm like I was at a level where I was good enough to know like if I step onto a random court, I'm likely the best player there. But also at the level where I could see the people that were truly good, and it was like and play with them, and it was fucking humbling <laughs> because you have like I'm six four, I weigh like two hundred thirty pounds, and I'd be playing against somebody who's like six ten in my position, six ten to sixty, who is faster and quicker and can jump higher with a better shot. And I was just like, okay, yeah, I just what don't. The fuck? And I'm like, oh, yeah, because you're going to go to Duke next year and start and then go to the league the year after. And, like, that'll be cool. And, like, maybe if I take this seriously for four years, I'll go to Brazil and play professional ball for two and then quit and, like, go to business school. Like, <laughs> that was a path that many of my friends uh, took. So it is, like, it was, it was actually really good because I got a lot of the, it was, like, very humility-building but also allow me to like have a realistic sense of how good I am at a thing in like much broader aspects of my life. Yeah. I had a pretty similar MMA experience because I trained out of uh, Sarah Longo's gym for a little bit. And that gym has produced three UFC champions. So you like, you know, you fuck around a little bit and you find out a whole bunch. Like it's really good to be like, Oh, I'm not that good at this. Cool. Like gen pop. Yeah, that's fine. But like these yeah. dudes, different animal entirely. Hundred percent. Yeah, pros are pros for a reason, man. They're they're so yeah. good. Which is why I don't expect to show up to a GT when I go and like win games against people that have been doing this shit for like ten straight years, day in and day out, taking it really seriously, doing the planning, doing the practice. Like that would just be. Like your level of cockiness slash arrogance would have to be sky high to, to come out of that being like, man, I didn't beat Anthony in my first time ever at an event. Like, Ready, like, what for my hot take? The yeah. old heads who've been playing for 10 years are much worse than the people that started just before COVID. Oh no. Interesting. A lot of them are getting shown up these days by people who came out of what would be considered nowhere, outlets. but really came out of COVID or, yeah, other competitive outlets. Yeah, yeah. That makes sense. I just want to say that I always yeah. forget that Cliff is older than me. <laughs> I feel like I felt like I had the old man status, and I just remembered that Cliff is actually the old man. I just look like the old man. <laughs> <laughs> Because oh. si because science has steadily ruined me. That's just what that is, though. Yeah. All right. I do have, if we have time for one more question, I do have one more yeah, really interesting question mm -hmm. that we skipped over that because I thought that would actually be a really good one to handle later. But uh, that one guy, John, asks, for all, how do you learn this positioning thing keep, folks keep describing? What should I focus on in my games to learn it? Oh, man. I know. So like, what kind of this... positioning? Like defense like this deployment positioning <laughs> so 
from what oh, I go ahead, Anthony. Actually, playing uh, a lot of GSC lately. Okay, which is an unforgiving army if you yeah, position your unit. So, positioning is one of the most like hand waved things in 40k. Now, this phrase is sometimes used for good, but it is often used for evil. Uh, one of the examples of it being used for good is Eric Latheris when he says that positioning is really important in GSE. What he's doing is distilling a very complex thing down to a single phrase and trying to impart that in a small amount of words because Eric hates technology. And if you talk to him on a voice chat, he'll explain this to you really thoroughly. But he's not going to type it all out. Most of the time, however, what positioning is used to describe for 40k is someone hand-waving the fact that either there was a significant skill disparity in the matchup, and they're just describing it as positional error because that's faster than and less cocky sounding than saying, I blew the doors off my opponent because they made a whole bunch of mistakes, or an army is not that powerful and because of point one, someone is doing better with it than they typically would, and they are pointing at positioning as the reason why. Usually, positioning, specifically in a game, depends on what type of army you're playing. For me, aggressive positioning looks like not chasing units, but setting up your charge range so it covers an objective. So that if someone wants to touch an objective, they get punched in the mouth. So you're not just getting kited around the board all game. Defensive positioning is things like staying wholly out of charge ranges or making it so that charges have to be an 11 or pre-measuring angles if you're playing against a shooting army. There are a lot of small aspects like that, but very often, I don't want people to like play a difficult thing, lose with it, and then like ask someone that doesn't have time to explain the nuance and then feel like they're being dumb because that's not what's happening. It's just not, positioning is like a really general term for something that isn't going to be explained quickly. And that's just like the quick shorthand that you're getting. But as many, actually what Tom said, like as many of Eric's games as you can physically find to watch, I would recommend doing. There's like a handful of players that I have like like a 10 out of 10 respect level for. Eric is in that category. Um, if you can, if you want to see what the movement of GSC should look like, that's it. Um, but yeah. That's a thing. What I'm hearing is that what really positioning is, is the like it, determining how you want your game plan to go over the next turn or two. Yeah. More than like just positioning, but like being able to yeah, plan it. It's not just like where you're and to take your opponents. Like, you know, yeah. 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 Any it's, number it's of reasons why they're there. And as you put it, it's distilling a very complex set of instructions down to one line. Yep. Makes sense. So just have an episode where we bring on Eric and have him explain positioning for three hours. <laughs> I could definitely get Eric on to make content. Like, that's definitely a thing. Well, I guess if... If, if people like it, we should definitely have people on who are experts at, like, one thing. The guy who has practiced that kick a thousand times. Yeah. 
like a video series about individual aspects of gameplay where we bring experts on to give tutorials on those aspects of gameplay. <laughs> Wait, <laughs> sounds like something we've talked about before, Cliff. Where could we possibly have talked about that before, Cliff? I can't imagine where. <laughs> Cliff's business idea is Thomas. Yeah, and Sam chiming in from who played Eric uh, a week ago uh, was able to move knowing how I would move and be out of range or out of sight and preparing for that situation. Like that comes with gameplay knowledge, yeah. army knowledge, and then also the idea of the, the be this, this ability to plan out ahead, which even I'm terrible at. <laughs> Tim. <laughs> I do, I do like Tim's comment, and I feel like just adding it in because I think it's funny. Oh, God <laughs> dang it. it. <laughs> we all clicked it. Ah. You go. There you go. <laughs> My favorite response when someone hand waves something is too slow slash predictable. Well, it's a good thing objectives don't move. <laughs> it's the truth. Yep. Oh, man. I think about that a lot. It's a good thing the objectives don't move. Otherwise, I'd be in a lot of trouble a lot of the time. Same. <laughs> uh, Idris has a question of how far in advance do you plan your turns? I try to plan just like one turn in advance because that's like the limit of my capabilities as a player is just to plan for like what the next phase is and like what my opponent's next phase is. That's all I can try to plan for. That is the, my limit as a player. I'm sure there are players out there who plan like five full turns of their game like in advance and just like do their plan. But like that's also not how I play the game of 40k, although I'm sure maybe Anthony or Jeremy, maybe, I don't know, or Cliff. I don't know if you guys plan your games fully in advance. No, I do. I do deploy. So I'm used to playing on a vassal. We've got those like bubbles from which you can extend like the range on a given unit. So like I tend, I deploy and move around such that I'm like, okay, this means that there are like certain places on the board that I will no longer be able to be in like two, three turns time. I want to make, if I think that I might have to be there with the unit that I'm moving, I like try to make sure that I'm covering as broad an area as possible, preserve options down the line. But I'm not like, and then he'll do this. You know? like, I can't. <laughs> like, that's not, yeah, like I said earlier. No one does that accurately. I've again yeah. in the entire time that I've played this, I've met one person that I've seen that even tries to and does it well. Yeah, it feels like something that came from chess, where like a lot of games have been shown and like planned in advance, and you memorize some of those tables and stuff like that. Like the actual like move and response from chess stuff can be memorized. I don't think you can do that with 40k. I think the game is just too complicated. You might be able to plan like two turns in advance. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Yeah. Maybe some somebody will will go into our, the, my DMs and tell me that they plan every game that they play five turns in so, advance. If they do, just tell them it's a dice game. And unless they are predicting <laughs> every single possible outcome of those dice when they get engaged, <laughs> not going to happen. Look, just a little Jedi just mind trick. Them. You know? Yeah. If someone Just can do that them. and and beat me and be right the entire time, I'll give them fifty bucks. Yeah. <laughs> to be clear, we were real close to no longer playing a dice game with uh Codex this close. coming out. 
real close. Do we have any more questions right, that we want to try to answer? Uh. Not really, actually. At this point, we've gone through most of the really interesting questions. There's a few that have been repeats from previous weeks um, and a few usual joke questions. They made me upset, is what they did. <laughs> That's mostly what they did. They made me I upset. Think... Is... <laughs> I think there's like every coach and captain's like actual mood about players making points predictions in WTC. I think that's just every mood from WTC. As <laughs> Jeremy like has like a moment where he's really upset because he's turning real pink on screen. <laughs> I have it's exactly behind me. It's underneath a stack of shit, so I can't grab it. But I have a binder full of predictions versus actual scores from the WTC. Tom is very familiar with this. I was yelling at some of my players like, "How did you turn what you said was a twelve eight in your favor to a twenty zero in theirs?" That kind of oh, thing. Gosh. See, Ooh. I thought you turned around so that you could yell at the corner and like <laughs> turned your microphone up so we couldn't hear it. Like you were just so <gasps> upset that you had to viscerally oh. just like express nope, it. No, I was moment. I was debating grabbing it, and then I realized it's underneath my <laughs> it's underneath a few other things. But yeah, like it yeah. player predictions are they're they, they can try to foresee how things are going, but um and I think Anthony can can relate to the same when it comes to predictions on the American squad. Confidence intervals, people. Don't give me a score. You're lying. You have no fucking clue how this is gonna go. Give me a, uh, give me just a, a quick read of the matchup. I don't need the specifics. Yeah, Yay, no, nay, I... or eh. Yeah, like, yeah. Just, just an idea of a trend, folks. Please. Did it ever go the other way? Did you ever get somebody giving you like, man, I don't know, I might not do this. It's gonna be like an eight twelve them, and they're like, oh, weird, twenty oh me. I didn't know that was gonna happen. <laughs> I love it. I uh, yeah, it, it it definitely did happen. Um, and I mean, it also happened for the opponents where they would go into it and say, and, and I'd be talking to the coach and like, yeah, my, my, my buddy over there said there was going to be like a 14-6 in his favor and your guy flipped it on his head and played in a way that I've never seen before. So yeah, it happens all the time and it happened both ways for, for us. Like the big thing is we can do it. Oh. We've, done, we've done entire episodes on this, but when it comes to team events, um, being able to accurately predict both ways matters. Yeah. Because it informs how you do yeah. your pairings. The uh, biggest example of that for the US at the WTC was every single team thinking that John's custodes list was shit and then getting run the fuck over. Goddamn hilarious. Oh, it was so funny. Repeatedly. Shout out to Mr. Lennon. There you go. Right. Yeah. So on that note. Thank you, everybody, for watching our show tonight. Please go press all of the buttons, comment on the things. If you really love our content and can afford to do so, we would love it if you could financially support this show by going to patreon.com uh, slash stat check, I believe, slash C slash stat check, maybe. I don't know. Uh, otherwise, it's at youtube.com slash stat check. Uh, this is our weekly show. It's on at 5 p.m. Central Standard Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time some ungodly time in Australia and I think 11 p.m. Scottish time. I don't know what time zone Scotland is in. UK time? Something like that. All right. It, Thanks, it's 11, it's... Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Bye.